Good morning, church. Scripture reading for today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, and this is the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Before we begin, I'd like to welcome a couple of newcomers. Uh, after I call your name, if you could just raise your hands, and we'll do it all together at the end, and so all of you can raise your hands together at the end, and uh, we'd just like you to come up and sing a song. I'm just kidding. Uh, just, we'd just like to welcome you as a church. You can stay completely where you are if you could just raise your hand when we call you. Um, Anna Kay, uh, if you could just raise your hand there, right there, and then uh, Nobu and Megan Aguchi. Oh, right back there, and then Joe and Cindy Coe, okay, right over there. If we could just give them a round, warm of applause and welcome. If you would like to sing a song, you're more than welcome to come up and sing a song. Just come and uh, we love special songs here, so it's all good. Um, before we begin, can we begin with just a brief prayer together as we look into God's word together as a church? Merciful and loving Father, we have gathered together today to open your word and to hear your voice. We have spent much time hearing other voices, but we long now to hear the voice of the one who calls the dead to life. We have gathered in this place to hear the voice of the one who told Lazarus to wake, Talitha to come, and Thomas to see that the work of salvation was truly finished. We have come to hear the voice of God. Raise us from the dead, open our eyes, Guard our hearts and minds against distraction and grant your people an abundance of grace today and call us out from whatever place we may find ourselves in. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is David, and I am one of the pastors here at KPCW Cornerstone. So one of the sadder things that's happened to me recently is that people are no longer surprised when I tell them that I'm a pastor. You see, I entered seminary and started training to become a pastor when I was 21, and then I got ordained by the time I was 24. So what used to happen to me was uh, when I would meet people or when I would guest speak at churches or retreats, people would say, I would introduce myself, oh, hi, you know, I'm, I'm the guest speaker, I'm the pastor, hi, my name is David, and they'd say, you're the pastor? You look so young. You, you look like you're in your 20s. And then I would say, <laughs> I, actually, I actually am in my 20s. You're absolutely right. 
And they say, wow, you know, you look so young. But the problem now is that people are no longer surprised when I tell them that I'm a pastor. When they meet me, I say, oh, hi, I'm, 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 I'm the, one of the pastors here at KPCW. They say, oh, oh, good to meet you, pastor. And they no longer comment about how young I must be. And I'll be honest, it's kind of a little bit like joko upsetting, okay? Just a little bit. Because it, it means I'm aging. Right? It means I'm really, I'm really starting to get older. And I think aging and getting older is this weird thing because I think when you're younger and as you get older, you just always kind of assume that at some point you're going to figure out your life, right? You just kind of assume that when you're in your teens that you'll figure out life by the time you're in your 20s. And then when you're in your 20s, you kind of figure out that you kind of think like, I'll probably have life figured out by the time I'm in my 30s. But then when you hit your 30s, people begin to silently or sometimes not so silently uh, wonder, why haven't you figured out life yet? They ask you questions like, why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have kids yet? Where is your wife? Right? Not that I've ever been asked those questions before. Right? And I don't know about you, but sometimes life feels like an endless series of constantly trying to figure out what's next. Right? When you're single, you ask yourself, when will I no longer be single? And when you're dating, you ask yourself, when will I be married? Quick side note, all of you like early to mid-20-year-olds who keep getting engaged, y'all need to chill out. Okay? Y'all need to chill out until the 30-year-olds kind of hit their stride, okay? You guys need to calm down a little bit, okay? Just be patient, all right? Relax, okay? But once you get married, you start to ask yourself, when will I have children? Or when will I buy my dream home or my fixer-upper that's going to become my dream home? When you're in school, you start asking yourself, when will I start working? And when you start working, you start asking yourself, where else can I work? What else can I do? When can I retire? And the problem really quickly becomes is that we constantly feel as though we're missing out on something, that we're wasting our time where we are. Pastor and writer Zach Eswine writes, wherever we are, it is like we are itching to leave. We have somewhere we are supposed to be, but where we are is never that place. So we constantly feel like we're missing out, losing our chance, or forfeiting what we could have had if only we could just get there before the hourglass sand empties out. And those questions of where am I supposed to be going and when will I get there can place an enormous burden on us. And this burden grows exponentially in weight when we find ourselves in an undesirable or painful situation. How long do I have to be here? But in our passage today in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul lays out a roadmap that details the life and journey of every believer who is in Christ Jesus. He tells us that when we started our journey, how did we leave and where are we going? So this afternoon, if you too have felt as though you're supposed to be somewhere, anywhere but where you are right now, or if you've ever wondered where it is you're supposed to be or what it is you're supposed to be doing, won't you look with me at our passage today as we look to the word of God with three questions in mind. Number one, where did we come from? Number two, how did we leave? And number three, where are we going? So question number one, where did we come from? So the first three verses of our passage tells us about the beginning of our journey. And it tells us that we were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Okay? So what does the Apostle Paul mean by this? Well, not to worry. 
he elaborates for us in verse 2. In verse 2, the Apostle Paul tells us that we once follow the prince of the power of the air. Okay? Super clear, right? Not to worry. He elaborates even more in verse 3. He says, he tells us that we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So what does it mean to be dead in our passage today? It means to be powerless. To be dead is to lack any real and meaningful sense of agency and control over your life and over your emotions and actions. A dead body is completely powerless. It can neither resist nor effectuate change. It is completely at the mercy of everything and anything around it. A dead body will go wherever it is pushed, it will stay wherever it is laid, and it has no ability to change or to resist anything that's done to it. So this morning when the Apostle Paul tells us what it means to be dead, he is saying that we are completely powerless against the desires of our body and our mind. Whatever our body craves, we cannot resist. Whatever our mind thinks, we cannot control. We are powerless against the external forces that act upon our bodies and powerless against the internal forces that pressure our minds. I most acutely feel this powerlessness when I am fasting or on a diet in a room full of people eating lamyun. Okay? I lose all self-control. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how many times I told myself I'm going to lose weight. As soon as people start eating cup lemon around me, game over. I'm going to lose all self-control. And so what ends up happening is we, we feel stuck in jobs that we hate or jobs that leave us feeling unfulfilled and dissatisfied. We may feel powerless at work. We may feel powerless at home. We may feel powerless in our personal lives or relationships. But the end and final note is that we are powerless and we cannot improve our situation. And so when we find ourselves alone with our thoughts and our minds begin to create the worst possible scenarios for our lives and begins to whisper to us our deepest fears and insecurities, aren't we powerless? Don't we lose sleep because we're so worried about what might happen or what might not happen in our lives? I mean, how many of us are just able to flick a switch and stop worrying? Right? Imagine with me for a second that you go to your friends and you say, I am so worried. I am freaking out right now. I can't even sleep. And then your friends, you know, they hear this response and say, mm, you know what? Don't worry. Right? How helpful is that? What happens? Are you like, oh, oh, man, that's right, of course, don't, don't worry. How, how can I have forgotten that? Yes, yes. Now that you've said it, I remember, don't worry, I am now no longer worried at all. How, how could I have forgotten about that, right? Totally ineffective, right? Completely unhelpful. In fact, maybe the most unhelpful thing that you can do in that kind of situation. Or how many times have we told ourselves or even told God, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to live that way again. And then we actually went on and proceeded to never live that way again or never do that again. Talk to any youth pastor, especially back in the 90s, and they will tell you stories about the kid in youth group who went up to the front and gave their life to Jesus to change forever like 15 different times. Right? I was one of those kids. 
full confession. I used to buy a new Bible every single time that would happen. Because back in the day, like, they used to say, like, oh, when did you accept Jesus in your heart? And they'd have a date in the beginning. And I'd be too ashamed to, like, cross it out and be like, oh, I re-accepted Jesus. I would just, I would buy a new Bible to hide my shame, okay? So now I have, like, 15 Bibles in my life, and I never really got rid of any of them. So there you go. Now you know my shame, okay? But Ephesians 2 tells us that every single person on earth starts their journey here, powerless and dead. It tells us that you and I, we started here, powerless and dead. But notice with me that our passage does not say that you are dead in your trespasses. But rather, he says that you were dead in your trespasses. The Apostle Paul tells us that if you're a Christian, you have already been freed and rescued and taken out of this place of death and powerlessness. And that brings us to our second question. How did we leave then? If it's true that we've left this, how did we leave? Well, verse 5 tells us, right? It tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Okay? And just, just pause with me for a second, okay? What does it mean to say in verse 5 that we have been made alive together with Christ, Because understanding that fundamentally changes everything about your Christian life. What does it mean that God made us alive in Christ? It means that God has tied our spiritual lives to the spiritual life of Jesus, right? It means that God has connected our lives and our fates with the life and fate of Jesus, which means this. If Jesus is dead, then we too will die. But in the reverse, if Jesus is alive, so are we. And friends, if you haven't heard the good news yet, let me tell you, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And not only does he live, he reigns. If you look back one chapter in Ephesians 1, in verses 20 to 21, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. That he, being God, right, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and seated him at the right hand of God's throne and gave him power and dominion. Dear friends, this morning Jesus is not dead, and so neither are you. Verses 5 through 6 of Ephesians 2 tells us that we too are not dead, but alive, and that we too, not only are we alive, but we sit in the heavenly places with Christ, and we reign with them. And this truth changes everything about our journey here in this life on this earth. If Jesus is alive, that means that the Christian's journey begins in death, but it does not end there. If Jesus is alive, it means that weakness and struggle is the beginning of your journey as a Christian, not the end of it. If Jesus is alive, that means anxiety and worry that plagues you at night. That is not the end of your faith. It is the seeds of your faith. If Jesus is alive, that means fear does not have the final word over your life. 
but rather it is the starting word of the beginning of your life as a Christian. Dear fellow Christian travelers, our journey may begin in weakness, in fear, in pain, in death, in struggle, but that is not our end. That is only our beginning. Heartbreak, disappointment, shame, broken promises, these are the beginnings of the Christian journey, not the end of the Christian journey. So just as death was not the end of Christ's journey, neither will it be your end. You see, Jesus may have started in the Garden of Gethsemane, fearful and anxious, but he did not stay there. And he may have started at the foot of Calvary, weary and beaten down with the burden of the cross, but he did not stay there. And Jesus may have entered the tomb, lifeless and dead, but he did not stay there. And so, brothers and sisters, neither will you. If you find yourself in fear and worry, if you find yourself in weariness and emptiness, if you find yourself in death and powerlessness, know that because Christ did not stay there, neither will you. This is the beginning of your journey, not the end of it. And that brings us to our third question. Where are we going? If death and weakness is the beginning of our journey, then where is our end? Where are we going? Look with me, if you have your Bibles open, to verses 6 through 7. Okay, here the Apostle Paul writes, And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why does God rescue us from our death? Why does he raise us together in life with Christ? Why does he tie our fates to Christ and raise us with them? We are told so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what God wants to do with your life? He wants to lavish it with kindness. Do you know what God's calling and purpose is for you? It's not so that you could go do some great work in the name of his kingdom. God's calling and purpose for you is for you to receive and bear witness to the great work of love that he is doing in your life. Even when you were a sinner, Ephesians tells us, God raised you from the dead. He sacrificed his son. He paid the price to die for you and raised you up with his son, Jesus. Why? Because he needed to do something with you? Because he wanted you to change the world? Because he needed you to build his kingdom? No, so that he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness and love for you. The end of our journey is the immeasurable riches of the grace of God. You want to know where we're going? We are going to that place where we will receive and experience and witness the fullness of all of the riches of God's loving kindness that he has for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. And if that's true, that means for the Christian, loneliness is only the broken beginnings of intimacy with God. Weakness is only the starting seeds of the fruits of strength. We may begin our journey in suffering or in sickness, but we will end in rejoicing and strength. And, and don't get confused, right? I, I think it's easy for us to get confused here, right? It's easy for us to make the mistake of thinking that this journey of going from death to life or from weakness to strength or from uh, darkness to light depends on our hard work and our grit, our discipline, our wisdom, right? It's easy to hear all this and think, oh, God is giving me a tool for my toolbox by which I need to improve my life and do better as a Christian. Right? It's easy to think, like, okay, got it. Up until now, I've tried to be more faithful on my own, on my own strength, but now I realize I have to try harder to be faithful by trusting in Jesus. That is not what God is telling us. He is not telling us that we have to work harder or work more efficiently. Right? He makes this very clear to us in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Friends, this morning our passage is not telling us to work harder, nor is it telling us to work better or smarter. All that does is slap a Christian label on hard work and grit. Our passage is inviting us to bear witness to the journey that God is leading you on. It is exhorting us to leave behind our current circumstances and instead look beyond to the sure promises of God that are coming. This does not mean that as Christians we should live in some state of delusion or denial. Right? When I was growing up, I, I went to like a small church. And the thing about small churches and Sunday school ministry is that there's very little like oversight and accountability. And because there's very little oversight and accountability, sometimes they do kind of crazy things. Okay? So for those of you who had VBS, praise the Lord. You were blessed. Okay? Let me tell you about my experience growing up in children's ministry. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's that emotional for me. <clears throat> Just bringing up bad memories. All right. Growing up, when I was in Sunday school, like starting when I was like, you know, six, seven, eight, something like that, they used to take us to this mountain. Okay, for those of you who grew up, grew up in the area in the Korean church, Adnazan, okay, and a prayer mountain, okay? And it was this retreat center at the top of this mountain. And then they would do this crazy thing, okay? It, like for the... First two, three days of retreat, totally normal. But then the last night, totally crazy, okay? And like, you know, normally like last night of retreat, you're like, oh, everything is really emotional, and you pray, mm-mm, that is not what they did to us. We cried for a totally different reason, okay? What they would do is they would give us like this weird like, 
peek into hell kind of thing, right? So like, there was this big steep mountain, and then they would make us like hold our ear, like duck walk. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like hold our earlobes, keep our elbows to our knees, and like squat up like this like super steep hill. But while you're doing that, these like, you know, these like deacons and chipsanyus in the church would like run around and like push you over and like hit you with stuff. And they'd be like, hell is harder than this, right? And they would do like things like that, right? And then they would, they, and you know, because this is like old school, first generation Korean, so pretty much everybody was like a carpenter or like they did flooring or, you know, they all worked with their hands. And so what they would do is at night, they would bring out this coffin, right? <laughs> like, they, they built this coffin, right? And they would paint it all black and they would bring it outside and you weren't allowed to have a flashlight or anything. And then they would put you in the coffin as like a six-year-old kid and then they would close the coffin so it was like pitch dark. And then while you were in there, they would start like hitting it and kicking it and screaming and they would be like, don't be scared. You can't be scared. Jesus is with you. You can't be scared. And then you'd be like, oh, okay. But like, you know, you're like, you know, you're crying. And then, and then it would culminate in, in the final activity. What they would do is they would wait until it was like really dark out, right? They take away your flashlights. We didn't have cell phones back then, right? And then what they would do is you would start at the top of the mountain and you'd have to walk all the way down. It was like maybe like, you know, it wasn't like super long, but like maybe like a five, six, seven minute walk. And then actually probably longer than that, right? And then you'd have to go down. At the very bottom was like this bridge that ran over a creek. And then you'd have to walk back up. But the thing was, on either side of your path was like tall grass and like deep, dense forest, right? And they'd make you walk down there by yourself, like as like a six-year-old kid, right? And like you have no lights, no nothing. But the, the, the twist on, on, their, on their game was that they would, they would hide in the bushes and the trees and like all these moms and dads and they would like make noises and flashlights and every once in a while, one of them would like run out of nowhere and like jump and scream and you'd be like, ah! And then if you were like, ah! You got scared. They'd be like, why did you get scared? Aren't you a Christian? Like you're supposed to trust in Jesus, right? And they'd be like, don't be scared. And we do all these kinds of things. And that is not what our passage is asking us to do. Our passage is not telling us to live with some weird Zen sense of peace that is completely immune to all suffering. It's not asking for artificial calmness. Leaving behind and looking beyond doesn't mean living in delusion or denial. Fear is still scary. Weakness is still hard. Weariness is still tiring. Shame is still heavy. Loneliness is still empty. And sorrow is still heartbreaking. Looking beyond and leaving behind does not mean saying, I once was sad, but I'm not sad anymore. It doesn't mean telling one another, don't be afraid, Jesus is alive. Looking beyond and leaving behind means being honest with where we are. But in the midst of that honesty, not forgetting the truth of where we are going. It means saying, this is hard and I'm scared, but I know that God's desire for those who are in Christ is his goodness and his kindness. I may not know exactly what the end will look like or when it will come, but I know that this is not my end. It means weeping with one another, comforting one another, and encouraging one another, and always reminding one another, this is not the end. 
Dear fellow brothers and sisters, fear is not our end. Shame is not our end. Weakness and sorrow and disappointment is not our end. The grave may have been our beginning, but glory and goodness will be our end. Next week, we're installing and ordaining elders um, from our EM into our church. It's it's a really amazing moment, right? It's it's been a long time coming, right? It's been so long that I started on the journey, and then I got off the journey, and then I came back like six, seven years later because, you know, I went to like seminary and stuff. But like when I first came here, it was like there were like pillars everywhere, you know, the chairs were, you know, like not the same, and, you know, pretty much none of you were here except Pastor Paul and Joyce, and, you know, like there weren't any kids or pretty much any married couples, and now, you know, it's like there's kids everywhere, right? Uh, and it's been this really incredible long journey and testimony of, of, of God's faithfulness to our elders, to our church, to our members, to their dedication, to their generosity. But church, can I, can I confess to you, as one of your pastors, that I need more of your prayers and your support that your elders and the other pastors on staff, we need your support. We need you to pray for us, to encourage us, and help us to keep on looking beyond and leaving behind. This week, can I ask you to keep our brothers, Wooj and Casey, in prayer? as they prepare to take their vows to become elders of this church. And as you do so, let me invite you to remember the vows that you took when you became members of this church to support and uphold and to help one another and this church And this week, as you go through your week, let me encourage you to reflect on a question that you'll be asked if you come to the installation service next week, which, of course, you will, right? But next week, if you come, if you're a member of our church, you will be asked this question in regards to our brothers Casey and Wooj and the elders of our church. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a ruling elder, and do you promise to yield to him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office, according to word, the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? I hope you'll really reflect on what that means. You know, the older I get, the more worries I have. And I I can't imagine that as I get even older, that trend is going to change. The more tired I feel, the more easily discouragement seems to hit me. The more exhaustion seems to hit. And I know I'm not alone in this. 
between a global pandemic and the politics of our age, I know that each and every member of our church has really felt the weight of the start of our journey, has felt the burden of powerlessness. And so have I, and so have all the pastors and elders in our church. So as we continue on together to face another week in this long journey home, can I ask and encourage you to exhort one another and all of us as your pastors and elders to look beyond and to leave behind until the day comes when we finally come home. Won't you pray with me? Gracious God, we are so thankful for the abundance of your love and mercy that you show to us. God, we confess to you that even now we, we feel the weight of the beginning of our journey. Some of us are tired. Some of us are discouraged. Some of us are sorrowful. Some of us are fearful. Some of us are anxious. Some of us feel empty. Some of us feel lost. Some of us feel cold. God, we are all in different places, but remind us, Lord, that this is not the end of our journey, but rather the beginning of our journey. And so, Lord, as we begin to face a new week, we pray that, God, you would keep our eyes fixed, Lord, on your promises. We don't pray to become immune to the sufferings or the pain of this world. We ask only for the eyes to see your plans, your purposes, and your promises in the midst of them. So gracious Lord, guide us in your mercy. Fill us with your grace. Make us more obedient to your guidings and to the teachings of your word and of your spirit. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you rise with me as we close?